Welcome into Two for One Drafts. I'm Austin Gale here with Mike Renner, ready to talk all the things draft. And I want to bring up, we're going to talk at the beginning of the podcast, bring up positional value and how you really want to factor it in to player evaluation, building your draft board. We had an opportunity to talk with Scott Pioli, the former Kansas City Chiefs GM. And I think he gave a lot of good insight, one, on the coronavirus outbreak and how that's affecting or I guess not affecting NFL teams and how we're approaching this draft and also his take on positional value and how teams currently are addressing it and how he addressed it when he was GM. We're also going to give out some player comparisons. we got a couple good segments on the back end. And in between it all, I interviewed Jalon Johnson, the former Utah cornerback, and I also interviewed former Cal safety Ashton Davis. Before we dive into the show, we have to bring up the email in the reviews, the podcast reviews. <laughs> so we've been telling you we're going to give a draft guide, a free draft guide to five reviewers who leave their email in a review of the podcast on iTunes. But iTunes removes your email if you put it in the review. So we're dumb. We're morons. We've kind of screwed you guys. But if you do redo it, if you do redo it and do the first part of your email, spaces between the at symbol and then whatever email you have, Yahoo, Gmail, whatever it is, it will show up. And we're going to give you a draft guide no matter what. If you do that, we're going to give you a draft guide. Not just five people, however many reviews that have that structure of their email in the review, we're going to give a draft guide. Mike, can you apologize (laughs) to the people with me? I, I feel bad. I was like looking, I'm like, what? Like we're getting our reviews were going up, but we weren't getting people putting their email. I'm like, that doesn't even make sense. <laughs> and then so I went and like just left a re- review on a random podcast with my email and it just didn't show up. And I'm like, oh. Was it a good review? It was. I gave a five-star review. I'm a nice guy. But nice. Uh, it was the Jessel Nick and Rose with all Vandy project, which is a great podcast, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, we'll give anyone, if you leave it before Monday show, we will give you a draft guide. We will email you that draft guide. You're going to want this. So go yeah. ahead, leave that review, and we'll get you a draft guide. It doesn't even have to be a five-star review, but <laughs> I'd probably say a five-star would be nice. Yeah. Well, the draft guide is over 1,100 pages now. It's available to all existing Edge and Elite subscribers. But if you don't want to subscribe, you don't want to grab a subscription from PFF, just leave a review with your email spaced out by ad symbols or whatever you got to do to get it to show up. And we'll make sure to send you a draft guide. Back to the show here. We're going to talk. Let's first talk about this position value argument. You recently tweeted out a, you know, a T or a, a list of, you know, the top 10 on average, average per year paid to the top 10 players at each position in a tweet. I worded that terribly. I was say, you want to try Can it again? you just take the reins? Can you I'll just try. take the reins? Okay, I'll just try. take the reins. So it's the per year average of the contract for the top 10 at each position. So quarterback is 32 million. Running back is 9.2 million. Wide receiver, 18 million. Tight end, 8.6 million. Offensive tackle, 15.4 million. Interior offensive line, 12.8 million. Go to the defense side of the ball. We have defensive tackle at 17.4 million. Edge at 18.9 million, linebacker 13.9 million, cornerback 14.5 million, and safety 12.6 million. If you don't want to just have me read that off to you, you can just go and check the tweet. I tweeted out on Wednesday, I want to say. But the gist of it is quarterback, wide receiver, offensive tackle, defensive tackle, edge, and I'd throw in cornerback as well. The price for those positions is far more for the top end than running back, tight end linebacker safety. And the gist of that is you are saving yourself cap space by drafting those positions early because they're cost controlled. If you get a good player at that position, it saves you from having to pay a quarterback $32 million at offense tackle $15 million. Like it's saving you far more than the other positions like a center, like a linebacker tight end and tight end and running back are the biggest are the two lowest by far. Do not draft those early because you're not like you can go out and find one in free agency and have a a more sure thing, like a more sure thing to hit the NFL and pay not a lot for it. And and that doesn't even get into the, you know, that obviously speaks to how much money you're saving by drafting like quarterbacks and offensive tackles high. But that doesn't even also get into the fact that those positions that are paid more on average also help you win football games more. They offer more value on the football field, like quarterback, offensive tackle, and wide receiver. It's it's one of multiple reasons why you avoid drafting running backs, tight ends, and other positions early in the draft. I think it's good insight there, but it also it only touches on half the story because the reason these guys are paid more is because they matter more in football games. That's why it's better to address wide receiver, cornerback, and those things over you know some of these other positions like linebacker, running back, tight end in, the, in early in the draft. It's better to spend significant resource at more valuable positions in addition to because you save money, but also because that helps your football team more. 
and I think there's this sort of uh, like vested interest for GMs to just get a guy who they can say is a good player. Like the guy to, to go with that best player available in this sort of vacuum of a draft board that doesn't take any positional value into account to draft your Saquon Barkley at number two, to draft a Marcel Darius, you know, in the top five of a draft, to draft this defensive tackle who's so physically, Derek Brown in this year's draft is a very good sort of, uh, is a guy who's probably the most indicative of that train of thought to where he's going to be a hit. Like he's going to be a sure thing in run defense. Boom, you got yourself a good football player. Congratulations. You drafted him 10th overall. You passed on a lot of guys who could actually have helped you win more football games, though it's the biggest thing. Uh, but GMs, when they go back and look at their track record, they're not going to, that's going to be chalked up as a W for them, even though they may have very well passed on a lot of players that could have impacted their football team a lot more. Something that doesn't get discussed enough, and I think this is a good transition to bring up, you know, the insight that Scott Pioli provided is that a lot of the decisions made on draft day are, are to keep your job are, are better are to keep your job and, and put something on the board that helps you the longevity of your career in the NFL. Not maybe not so much when football games. And like you said, it's like, Hey, if I draft Derek Brown, I know he's going to be very good against the run and a very good football player for my team. It's a safer pick. It, it keeps me in this business longer. Those things. I think it makes sense, but taking a risk on a receiver that could be one of the best in football, maybe the better pick there uh, otherwise. But Scott, what Scott Pioli brought up, and I want to first start with this, is we, we talk a lot about you know the coronavirus and how it's affecting the pre-draft process. You know, teams aren't getting medical checks. Teams aren't able to meet these teams, people, you know, these players in person. The draft room is going to only be a select amount of people. They're going to have to lean on teleconferencing. We talked to Scott and he's like, yeah, it's not going to really be a big deal. Like they're going to be able to figure it out. Like the, the rooms are already tight as it is. He was saying 90, 95% of the dra- draft day process will remain relatively unaffected, which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. And the point that he brought up, which goes back to the GMs keeping their job sort of thing is a lot of the people sort of making a stink about this and having their quotes out in the media saying that they can't believe that the NFL is going through with this, with all the you know pressure it puts on NFL teams are the people who want that built in excuse to where, Hey, if they miss on these draft picks, if this draft doesn't go well, it was coronavirus. It was the fact that we couldn't <laughs> vet these guys out. It was the fact that they, we couldn't get pre-draft visits and these injuries couldn't be vetted by our doctors. All of a sudden we are, you know, gives you this excuse to where if you're a GM on the fringe of maybe getting fired, you can go to your owner and say, Hey, we didn't have, you know, look at everyone. Everyone was behind the eight ball on this and they didn't work out. Cause well, we didn't bet them for XX next reason. And, that, and that's something that us as outsiders, we really can't, we can't fill those shoes and actually f- feel that position they're in. Like there is, there, it has to be something to that. You can't always just do what's in the best interest uh, because sometimes that will cost you your job quicker than what's maybe not doing in the best interest of your team. Like mortgaging for future first round picks to make this year's team better isn't off often in the long-term interest, but it might keep your job another year. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if you do that and your team all of a sudden has this surge this next season. So it's something we can't understand as outsiders, mm-hmm. but it definitely, definitely happens to NFL talent evaluators and NFL decision makers. And, and with that being said, maybe there is this draft you'll start to see GMs take more risk because you do have that mulligan, you know, kind of, you know, baked into this conversation with the draft because coronavirus, you take a risk on a guy with injury history, you take a risk on a guy with off-field concerns because you can lean on that excuse that you didn't have opportunities to vet him in those things. But if he pans out, it turns out to be a slam dunk. I, I Maybe it leads, you know, GMs to being less safe in this upcoming draft, which I find interesting because we talk a lot about guys that maybe are affected by this that do have significant injury history. Tua Tungamailoa, Bryce Hall, LaVisca Chanel, Natani Muti. Maybe it gives those guys an opportunity because GMs are, are less concerned because they do have that, you know, that excuse to lean on. I'm not sure. I, I, is that the right way to interpret it? I don't know. Also, though, we what he did say that was really interesting that I didn't necessarily think of or uh, hadn't realized. And actually, Jim Nagy even touched on this when we talked to him, is that teams share the medical, like the medical information gets disseminated to all 32 teams once you get some medical information. And like a guy goes to a doctor that doctor takes the MRI, takes the x-rays. Those x-rays go out to every single NFL team. The, like a lot of NFL teams don't have the feasibility to go and visit with every single guy who has a medical sort of issue heading into the draft pre-draft. So they rely on information sharing 
at the end of the day for a vast majority of guys. So I don't think that's going to be that much different this year than it has been in years past. People can still go to doctors. Like you can still get medical care. That's still a thing that exists here. Let's go back to the positional value discussion, talking yes. about factoring it into your draft board. Cause we asked Scott about, you know, that as well. And he brought up the fact that, you know, when he was still, you know, at working as a GM, they had two draft boards, one of which that reflected need and positional value that kind of knew th- those two things and kind of factored them in at least somewhat, probably not to the degree yeah. the analytics mock draft yeah. was, <laughs> not the analytics mock <laughs> factors in positional value. But then there was another board. He said, I think he said secret board on the interview. He did say like there's like a secret board or behind the scenes board that is purely how you grade the player regardless of position. And my thought process was why in the world would you ever have a board that I, I just, just doesn't necessarily exist like that, that situation where there's like, like regardless of position football just doesn't exist. I, I and we talked to George to about it as well, the director of analytics at PFF. And he had a similar opinion in that if you have two boards, you don't even have one, you need to lean on one that factors in position value with how football is actually being played. See, I have a different opinion on that. And I think two boards can be a valuable thing in that it's almost like a thought exercise of here's where I'd stack this running back in terms of NFL hierarchy. And here's where I'd stack this cornerback in terms of the NFL hierarchy. Like I see this cornerback being an average cornerback at the next level. I see this quarterback being an average quarterback, but this running back or this tight end being elite. And Yes, like maybe like wins above replacement, our war metric here at PFF will tell you that that average quarterback is far more valuable than that elite running back. That average cornerback is far more valuable than that quality tight end. But I think there's something to be said for you don't want to be average at those valuable positions. Like you, you want better than average. You want like high quality play at those positions. And so at the end of the day, like you, if the guy's ceiling or if the guy's going to end up just being an average cornerback and that's what you see him as. And you, like, if you're taking value into account, yes, it's going to say it's more valuable, but I think you need to set your sights. I keep saying you said set your sights higher than average at, at those valuable positions. You, so if it's like the second round and you see, and all the cornerbacks left are just like these guys you see as average, maybe on that value board, they will be higher. And the analytics guys will say that guy's more valuable, add him to the mix, but it's still not like, you should still set your sights a little higher than that position, than that player. And then you can get yourself quality tight end, like roster composition. There's still something to be said for, uh, you know, getting good players and just having no weaknesses, that sort of thing. And I can get on board with that argument somewhat. I think the one board that you do use that heavily factors in position of value also has to factor scheme fit, and somewhat need in terms of does this if we draft this player highly will he have an opportunity to see the football field because that is where you put your you know because you can only earn war you can only earn wins above replacement if you're playing if you're on the field. If you, yeah. yeah exactly so and, and playing a high number of snaps heavily impacts how much value you bring to a football team so if you are drafting a player say so for example the, the argument i bring up is that all the quarterbacks in this upcoming class are going to have significant value because they play the position of the most value. So if on like a purely driven position of value board, you have all these quarterbacks high in your thing, you're not going to draft eight consecutive quarterbacks because they're not going to have an opportunity to see the football field. They're not going to have the opportunity to earn value, earn that win, those wins above replacement. I think with that being said, factoring in, it's like, okay, we could take this average cornerback here in the third round. He will play behind Darius Slay, another veteran corner, and the cornerback we drafted in the first round. He will not see the field, barring injury, all those things, uh, this upcoming season. Maybe it makes more sense to go down a little bit on our board and bring a guy that will start next year, like at the tight end position or running back position. I can can get on board with that. The two boards, though, I'm not getting on board with the two boards. Just back (laughs) to that all into one board. You don't need to to do it. Interesting stuff from Scott Pioli. Interesting stuff, you know, discussing position value, draft theory, and those things. Um, to to, To break between our top shelf or well segment and Riggins is also, you know, Riggins. breaking us up, <laughs> breaking up as well, but to, to break up the top shelf or well um, segment where we talk about bursting linebackers, round one types versus day two, day three types and our perfect pairing segment of NFL comparisons. Let's kick to the interviews with Jalen Johnson and Ashton Davis. Joining the two for one draft podcast. I have Utah cornerback Jalen Johnson just had, just got done watching through some of your favorite plays. Jalen, how you doing? I'm doing good. I'm, how you doing? Doing great, man. How, how's everything going with um, you know the pandemic right now, the crisis? I hope you and your family are doing okay. 
Right. No, everything's all good. I mean, just staying inside, doing my rehab as much my, as much as possible on my shoulder and just enjoying um, the little quality time I had before. I mean, everything starts heating up. So, I mean, I'm just enjoying what I can out of this whole process and out of everything that's going on. Gotcha. And, and so with that being said, obviously, you're probably doing a lot of team interviews through video right now. What, what What's that like? I'm sure it's nothing like what you expected in this pre-draft process. What's different about that? What are the advantages, disadvantages? How's that process going? I mean, for me, I don't mind it. I mean, it's kind of different. I'm not going to say weird, but it's different having to FaceTime potential coaches or FaceTime like grown men. Because I mean, I'm not used to really FaceTiming older people. But I mean, in terms of the video chat and chopping it up, it's all good. Because I mean, we can still go over what we need to go over. I can still watch the film, the same film that they're watching and go over plays and just go over everything that we um, that we need to. So, I mean, we get everything accomplished that we normally would if we had the team visits. It's just not as not as planned. I mean, yeah. Now, let's get back to, you know, let's get to the film here and, uh, what, you know, what you bring to the table. I want to, you know, this entire process, everyone's telling you what you are, what you can do at the next level, what value you bring to the NFL. But I'd love to hear from you what you think separates you from other cornerbacks in this class. What do you bring that's special to the NFL? I would say what I what I know I bring I know I bring versatility and I bring um, intelligence I feel like not even a knock on other corners in the draft um, but I just feel like I'm the smartest corner in the draft on the field and off the field so I mean just the way I watch film um, and and as you can see in some of the plays I make it's about recognizing tendencies and recognizing formations and not just playing off athleticism but actually knowing what's going on and understanding the game of football um so i mean and also i I don't i mean sometimes i see certain articles or certain people say that i can't play certain schemes or coverages but i mean if you really turn on the tape there's not too much that i can't do or that i'm not good at i mean i've made plays in zone and i've played great zone coverage i've been i pressed and i've played great man coverage i mean it's just about being versatile in every aspect of the corner position yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because I read some of those reports that you're not, you know, you're not scheme versus on those things. I just can't believe it because I do think, like you said, so much of your production is based off pattern recognition and off coverage at the line of scrimmage. You do a lot of different things or did a lot of different things at Utah and excelled in, in multiple roles. Um, let's get back to, you know, that film study. I'd love to hear more about in a given game week, how much film you're watching and what exactly you're looking for when you're doing opponent film study before games. Um, I would say I put in about anywhere, I would say anywhere between six and seven hours total between the week. I like to watch about an hour of film every day um, at nighttime. Um, and then I do that Monday through Friday. And then I like to watch some in the morning as well, just to tune up. But yeah, so somewhere yeah, in, in between there about that time. But honestly, it's just for me going ever since I've been into college and been at Utah, the coaches taught us how to watch film the right way and what to look for. So, I mean, for us, we just start off with first and second downs. We like to see what every offense's favorite formation is and every offense's favorite play, the route concepts or anything that they like to do or what they're known for doing. So, I mean, we like to start off with that and get that kind of um, kind of get that in our head and really familiarize ourselves with what they like to do. And then we go to situational ball, third downs, red zone, two minute. And we just really break that down. And we, we just, we honestly just take their favorite, their favorite things. We don't really focus on every single play that we may see on film. We just like to take, we take notes and we kind of calculate, okay, well, out of this many plays, 70% of the time they line up in this formation, they ran this play. So, I mean, when it comes to game time and you see this formation, you think, okay, they like to run this concept a lot. So, I mean, it's just about giving yourself a, a chance to be able to make plays. Um, so, I mean, honestly, it's just it's just about getting certain keys and certain tendencies because, I mean, it's not – you can't you, – you don't know the whole offensive playbook, but you can definitely um, – certain things that may be coming in. Offensive coordinator is one thing I've kind of realized through college is they don't change too much. They are who they are. So, I mean, they don't – they're not going to go from being a spread team to – a run heavy team. No, they're going if they're spread, they're spread and they're gonna have their favorite concept. They're gonna have their matchups that they try to get and certain things like that. So I mean it's just about understanding offenses and situational football. Yeah. How much film does uh Terrell Burgess watch? That's another cornerback in Utah or you know slot cornerback safety hybrid that you know 
stands out for his instincts and what he's able to do on the football field. How much film is he watching? And can you speak to him as a player and a teammate? Honestly, I, I couldn't tell you how much film he watches, but I'm not going to lie to you. He's the smartest dude I've been around mm-hmm. in terms. And honestly, it was times where he was too smart. Like he was like when we were going through practice, he'll be like, he'll call out everybody's route. <laughs> I'm like, Terrell, you can't, can't like you know what you're doing, but you can't like try to tell me routes. Cause I mean, like I was saying earlier, certain teams have certain for, or certain concepts they like to run out of certain formations. So it'll be about two, three different options, and he'll call one of them, one of them out, and he'll be like, they're going to run this. And then if they don't run it, it messes everybody up because everybody is listening to listening to what he said. So it's just like sometimes he he tries to do too much. And it's like, okay, Terrell, kind of calm down a little bit and just try to give us a brief um, a brief explanation of what you think they're going to run. But now he, he's super smart. He watches a ton of film, and um, he's been in the program for four years, and he really bought into his craft, and he really bought into doing his job. So, I mean, on, on film, just playing with him, I mean, he was always somebody who just did his job. He didn't do anything fancy. He wasn't going to ooh you and ah you, but he just did his job day in and day out, and every week he just came to play. So, I mean, just – and he's one of my best friends. So, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of funny talking about talking about him, just knowing – who he is and how goofy he is and he's always laughing and smiling he's always the loudest in the room but when it comes down to business he's also very um he's serious and he knows what he's doing and he just has fun doing it that's great man sounds awesome um and Terrell that's that I can imagine him calling those plays out knowing what he does on film do you watch any film on yourself and you kind of like self-study in that stuff and, and do you watch film on NFL guys guys in the NFL that maybe you you like in your game too um, I definitely watch film of myself more critical than I would say my coaches did because I feel like I I watch film more on what I can improve on t- from a technical standpoint mm-hmm. or from what I can do to switch it up for upcoming receivers. Because, I mean, if you give somebody like like offenses, if they do the same play and they do the same thing every time, every time it's going to be easy to pick up on. So for me, I like to switch up my techniques in certain I mean, in all aspects, really, where whether I line up closer in my press bell and cover three, if I line up further, if I act like I'm pressing and I d- disguise certain coverages, it's just all about giving different looks, but still running the same the same cover. So I just always try to be critical of myself and make sure I'm not giving anything away, really, in terms of what I'm doing. If I'm man, I'm just trying to give different looks um, in everything that I do. Um, so, I mean... I definitely watch film on myself, but I don't watch too much film on or during the season. I don't watch too much film on. That's more of my off season thing that I like to do. Um, just kind of watch different guys and watch how they how they play. Um, and really, it's kind of it's kind of funny because to watch like certain guys in the NFL, you just see more so how cons- how consistent the the better and the great ones are in the game. Um, and I feel like that's what separates them from the average to the not so good corners and kind of the difference in college too. I feel like you see them playing consistently with this technique or they consistently do certain things. So I feel like that's what, that's the kind of, that's, that's the difference, not just being great on one or a few plays, but being great through a whole game, through a whole season and just playing at a high level consistently. That's what I like to take from it and how they, um, how they like to run their um, coverages and play their techniques. I want to finish with this one. I, on Twitter, I, 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 I compared you to Marcus Peters in a lot of ways. I think you're very similar athletically from a size and athleticism standpoint. And I think you win with instincts. And Marcus Peters does that better than anybody in the NFL, in my opinion. But I, I can't comp you to Marcus Peters if you're not a dog, okay? Because Marcus Peters comps don't come lightly. You need to be able to talk trash. <laughs> right. You need to be able to step up in that regard. I need to know. What's your opinion on talking trash, playing the mental game? Um, for me, I like it's easier for me to talk trash to like better competition. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean, in that aspect, it just it, it just keeps the game fun. It keeps you in tuned into it. Cause I mean, if you just kind of quiet, just not really talking. I feel like it's easier to get caught, um, caught not on your game. So I mean, just for me, I'm not going against good competition. I'm going against somebody I need to build my p's and q's with. I like. To trying to 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 talk. I mean, I don't necessarily need to talk to him, but I'll talk to myself out loud, or I'll just talk. 
out loud just to keep myself in it and keep myself hyped in that game and in that moment. So, I mean, in terms of talking trash, I mean, it's fun, especially when receivers like to talk back and they think they are open or something like that or just just always saying little stuff. Receivers always complaining and making excuses for times they don't catch the ball or they get happy when they do catch a ball or something. So, I mean, it's just, it's just fun to just go at it and have that aspect of the game into it as well, not just always, oh, well, he didn't catch it, so that's it, but also letting them know um, what's going on in the game and how it's going to go. Great stuff, Jalen. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Yes, sir. Thank you. Have a good one. You too. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast with Austin Gale and Mike Renner, this is Ashton Davis, Cal Safety, one of the top safeties, top deep safeties in this class. It's great to have you on. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks for having me. So right now, obviously, you know, with this COVID-19 pandemic going on, I'm sure your world is a lot different than probably you expected. You probably expected to be going, traveling to teams, meeting with teams, but you're doing a lot of video conferencing. How has that been for you? Uh, it's been good. It's been, uh, you know, it's, it's a bit of a curveball, but it is what it is, and um, big picture is there's a lot, a lot of people that are, uh, a lot of people that are worse off, um, and affected more, um, seriously than I am. So I'm just kind of looking at the bigger picture and doing what I can to, to show teams that, um, I know what I'm talking about and that I'm prepared to, to play the ball at the next level. Nice, man. And how, how's your family doing? I hope everything's okay. Yeah, doing well. Um, I'm trying to keep them in mind and stay down here actually. Um, you know, I, I live on the same property as my grandparents, so um, you know, in the off chance that I do have something, I don't want to bring that back home. So mm-hmm. I'm just I'm down here in SoCal training and uh, waiting for waiting for the draft to happen. I'll probably go back up there for a couple of days for the draft. Um, but other than that, yeah, I'm just kind of uh, awaiting that that whole process to, to kind of finish up. Yeah. Got, we were talking a little bit before he jumped on and, and talking about, you know, this opportunity to talk with teams through video conferencing, maybe put you at a disadvantage because, you know, football so well. You said it's one of your strengths, football IQ. But now other players that maybe don't have that strength got cheat sheets on their computer and those things. Talk to me more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I feel like I'm always very prepared. I took, I took the interview process very seriously since I wasn't able to, uh, to participate physically at, at the combine. And uh um, didn't have a pro day, so I thought that you know the best way for me to sell myself was um, in the classroom, essentially, or during my interviews. And so I took those very seriously. And um, like you said, I, I believe that football IQ is one of my strengths, and I have no problem drawing up plays, schemes, um, even ones that I haven't ran. Just concepts in general um, are you know a strength of mine. And so yeah, if, you know I don't know if people are having cheat sheets up while they do it, but it's certainly something that's possible. And, uh, I mean, but it, like I said, it is what it is. There's people that are, uh, worse off than me and, uh, just trying to, you know, keep that in mind. Gotcha. Well, uh, no cheat sheets needed for this one, man. I'll tell you that. Um, another thing I want to talk about too is, you know, with the injuries you've kind of been battling this off season, you didn't have an opportunity to participate at the senior bowl and you also didn't have an opportunity to work out at the combine. What are you doing to get some athletic testing out to these teams? Yeah. So, um, I think here in the next couple of weeks, we're going to do our own little pro day. Um, just show teams that I am healthy and I can move around. Um, probably just the 40 and some position work. Um, but yeah, I feel, I feel really good. I've been, you know, still doing, I'm still doing my PT, um, which isn't really PT at this point. It's mostly a lot of stretching and, uh, just touch up stuff. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, uh, we're hoping to do like our own little version of a pro day. Um, if we can find a field, um, that's, that's the goal. Um, send up some, send out some position work, send out some, uh, some of that 40 stuff that everybody likes to see. And mm-hmm. then, uh, you know, see what, uh, see what teams are talking about after that. Yeah. I mean, teams are going to want to see that. I mean, you got a really rich track background. I'm sure you don't even have to train the start as much as other players do because you do have, you know, that background. I know they want, you know, they expect good times. And I think it's something that would elevate your stock with just how fast you are in those things. But do you got any goals in mind for the 40 yard dash? Trying to be the fastest safety in this class. Talk to me. I'm always trying to be the best at a lot of stuff, but um, I mean, it's hard when you have, you know, the hand versus laser time debate and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I just want to, uh, my main goal is uh, just to show teams that I'm healthy and that I'm, I'm still fast. Cause I know that I know that I'm fast and, um, you know, I have, uh, I have that track background to kind of prove it. Mm-hmm. And I just want, I don't want there to be any question marks. So I'm, I'm doing the 40 regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, if, if I can find a field, of course. Yeah. And so, 
yeah, I just want to kind of check all those boxes and make sure, uh, you know, everyone's as confident as I am that I'm going to be successful at the next level. Yeah. For listeners that don't know, Ashton, you know, you sent like an email or something to the athletic director at Cal to get like a walk-on opportunity at Cal because you had a rich track background, but no scholarship offers for football. But then you go into football and you obviously light it up, improving every year in PFF grade, kind of elevating yourself to one of the better safety prospects in this class. But I was talking to some guys at Senior Bowl. You read some evaluations from around the league, talent evaluators. They question your toughness because you don't play a ton of football. But like, I, I always find myself questioning that because it doesn't show up on film. I mean, there's a handful of clips where you know, you're you blowing up run defense and, and people say you know, can't play in the box and those things. What's your opinion? When, you, when people say that or if you hear people questioning your toughness, what, what's your opinion of that? What do you say to that? Well, to take uh, a lot of people, <laughs> there's, there's guys, I've had guys to me, uh, come up to me and uh, say the same things you're saying that I um, haven't even watched my tape yet. They just uh, make assumptions based on uh, my track background, which um, track was always kind of a stepping stone for football. I actually played football first. Um, so wide receiver in high school, right? Is that, is that correct? Uh, yeah, I played receiver running back, um, just whatever I could, whatever I could do to, to help us when I think we had, uh, something like 17 kids on, on my, oh my God, <laughs> my junior year. So yeah, it was, uh, it was a, it was a rough one, um, for a couple of years there, but yeah, I, I don't know. I just cut the tape on. I, I played through, I mean, my left adductor injury. I played with that all year. Mm-hmm. Um, I played with, a torn labrum before like it's i don't know people to understand the uh, the commitment i have and the uh, the toughness I'd say that I have. So yeah, and I think that's what's important about it too. Is that you know you put on the tape, you don't see those things. But if you make assumptions based on your background, I think it's easy. It's an easy take to fall into, and I think it's unfortunate that some are falling into that take. I, I want to bring up more specifically your game. Played a ton of deep safety at Cal. I want to hear from your opinion. I think this entire process, it's other people telling you what you're good at. I want to hear what you're yeah. good at and what. What makes you know what makes a good deep safety in college football and in the NFL? Because I think it's a lot of things. Obviously, athleticism and, and certain skill sets, but technique. But I think football IQ also very important. Talk to me about what you think makes you one of the better safety prospects in this class, and what makes a best a better safety in the NFL. Absolutely. So I think um, someone that's that's going to have success um, as a deep middle safety or a deep you know deep defender in general is going to have instincts. He's got to have IQ. He's got to have ball skills. He's got to have everything. But um, people got to have an understanding of the defense and scheme. And there are no cheat sheets when you get out there on the field. Um, you know what I mean? And you got to understand scheme. You got to understand uh, pre-staff disguises and things like that, that you can um, kind of mess with the quarterback. Um, essentially not send him a text message before the ball is thrown on where the rotation is. <laughs> yeah. And you, if you have a guy that's only, only capable of playing in the deep defense, a lot of the times your hand is shown um, and they know, your road, where you're rotating, you know, that you, if you don't play in the box and you're shown in the box, they know, you know, come on, this guy's probably going to bail out and play a half or um, play a third or something like that. So I want to be a guy at the next level that's going to be versatile and be able to, you know, play it, play all levels um, in the box at the line um, and, and deep as well. So um, I think that's important. I think you got to have all the things that I mentioned and um, I think that I've, Check all those boxes. Yeah. I think disguising coverage is very important. We talked a little bit before jumping on here, looked over some of your better plays from this past season. And I think the first thing that stands out when you walk through them is, hey, this is what I'm in, but I'm not trying to show, you know, show your hand. And I think that's that's an underrated quality at the safety position because if you show your hand early, it limits you from making those big plays. Now, before we let you go here, I got to bring up a specific play. We walked through it before we jumped on the podcast here, but there's a play against Oregon where Justin Herbert kind of scrambles to the left. And while he's running along the sideline, not out of bounds yet, you go make a strip, try to make a play to win that football game. It gets flagged, 15 yard penalty, home quarterback, home stadium. What's your opinion of that play? And I, I, I've heard you sent a picture of Justin Herbert's way to kind of throw some things at him as well. Absolutely. So, uh, Justin's down here training with us um, in that particular drive. I think they were up seven, and it was the fourth quarter with um, a few minutes left. And uh, all I saw was the, the football was in his near hand, and I was trying to get it out so that um, our offense had a chance to go down and score and tie the ball game up. And um, like you said, it was kind of unfortunate set of circumstances. Um, I don't know. I, I, I would. I think I would do it again. And then off chance, I got that ball out and gave us a chance to win because uh, that's just the type of competitor I am. Um, I, I, if, if it was already out of bounds or if it was a malicious hit, then absolutely not. wouldn't do it again. But um, I think if you go back and you watch the tape and look at that, that photo I shared, um, 
I think that you could tell what my intent was just to get that ball out and uh, give our offense a chance to go down and score again. You guys are good friends now, though, obviously training together down there. But also, how yeah. often were you sending him that photo? You say every week, every day? <laughs> yeah, I was, sending him, I was sending him like twice a week, something nice. like that. Uh, just pretty much any time um, anytime I got bored, I would send him just <laughs> a photo. And uh, yeah, but good dude. Um, definitely was a good sport about it. And uh, yeah. That's great, man. Well, I really appreciate you coming on the podcast, and I wish you the best of luck moving forward. Cut the tape on. This guy's tough. This guy's one of the better deep safeties in this class. Thanks again, Ashton. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. All right, man. Well, I appreciate it. That's all recorded. should go up soon. Um, uh, best of luck moving forward, man. I hope you stay healthy, keep the family healthy, and I'm looking forward to that pro day stuff. If you do take video of that, uh, send it my way if you don't send it out yourself. Yeah, of course. All right. Um, and thank you for the hat. Dude, of course, man. We got hats coming out our ass, all right? If you ever need another one, let me know. (laughs) Yeah, of course. See you, buddy. Have a good one. Thanks for having me. What I found most impressive from both interviews, but with Ashton and Jaylon, is that they're both just super smart players. Guys that really, really do dive into the tape, really do value route anticipation, play, play recognition and those things. Before I did those interviews, I walked through some of their best plays with them, Mike. And I walked through, we did a screen share through Skype and these things and, and hearing them, what they're looking at pre-snap, what they're looking at, you know, you know, two seconds into the play and these things are just fantastic. There's an inner or a near interception on Jalen Johnson's tape where he, he jumps in front of an out route. And I, I assume you assume he jumps right as the receiver's breaking and has a really good break on the football. But he said, I wasn't looking at the receiver. I was looking at the quarterback rolling out. And just like what these players are looking at and what their reads are and stuff is just awesome. And I really found it interesting that both of those players are very smart players, very instinctive players at their positions, respectively. You cake your pants for guys who tape study. Like I mean, if, I, I, if, I broke down, if I broke down a play for you, like I was Jalen Johnson, you'd put me in the third round. You'd be like, this guy, <laughs> you just got the moxie. I don't care if he's a slow, unathletic 30-year-old white guy. Not 30 yet, but almost 30. 30-year-old white guy, third round grade. He, he well, just I mean, knows. So I agree. Uh, there's Kate currently in the past. <laughs> yeah, my take is, is when the tape is good, the production is good. And then you hear how they're getting there. And it's something that I think will translate the next level. That's something that's sustainable in the NFL. It's not athleticism. It's not like I just beat the guy in front of me, blah, blah, blah. That I feel really confident about translating in the NFL. Guys that like know the process are ready to treat the NFL like a business, like a job. I, I really do think have more longevity and a better opportunity to succeeding in the NFL when they do have the necessary requirements in athleticism, the production's there, the tape's there as well. It's like the, I think it's like more the passion aspect of true. You don't, you don't do that unless you care, mm-hmm. you know, you're not in the, in the, it's a, it's going above and beyond. That is what it takes because you're not done to like, no one comes in. So few guys come in the NFL ready and are going to be dominant from day one. And those I guys, you it. know, I so, see it more as a very attractive cherry on top of the prospect you know like you could you say like a bad prospect guy that you know, doesn't have great athleticism the tape isn't great but he t- studies all night long on tape he's just grinding it all night it's like okay that's a cherry on top of what's already not something that's great you know like i don't really like the tape you put out you're not studying it up yeah. or whatever it may be but when you when you do have that backing cherry on top of uh fruitcake exactly no no one likes that no one likes yeah. that but yeah again jalen and, and ashton were both fantastic on the mic and i really appreciate them coming on the podcast um moving clarify through, i did not mean fruitcake i meant actual fruitcake okay no, yeah continue I, yeah, yeah okay so i think that was, <laughs> um let's look move forward to top shelf or well segment here on the two foreign drafts podcast where we look at one position and look at guys that are projected to go in the top 30, top 40 picks and compare them to day two, day three prospects. Who would you rather have considering the pick value in those things? I'll kick it off here. Kenneth Murray in round one, let's say back end of round one in the picks 30 to 40 range or Jordan Brooks, the Texas tech off ball linebacker, maybe, maybe late day two, early day three. Whose name we still don't know how to spell. And Chad Ryder's latest mock you. draft is with an A. Really? It's with a Y on Texas tech's website, but they're similar players is why. So this is, these guys have a very similar skill set in that they are just at their best athletic going forward. They in a straight line screens, swings, wide runs between the tackles runs. No problem with these guys now moving laterally, maybe turn their hips and running zone, their feel for zone coverage, much bigger question marks. Like the, if you're, they need a role that's going to fit their strength, so Kenneth Murray, we'll say, assume he's going to be drafted around 20 to 30 range in this draft is what I'll say. 
Jordan Brooks, I think is second half of the second round to middle of the third round is his range. I'll go Jordan Brooks here. I think that uh, one, I don't think there's super different as prospects. I think Kenneth Murray, obviously probably a little more athletic, but Brooks, I think is probably a little better in run defense at the moment, which yes, it's not the biggest needle mover, but uh, it still does have some value. So I'm going to go with Brooks. If I'm saying back of the second versus back of the first, give me the guy in the back of the second text, text Jordan Brooks. I, I am with you because I, I can't, I can't get on board with taking Kenneth Murray at the back end of the first and cl- while factoring in positional value and the player and skill set he brings to the table. I mean, you say it best when you look at his tape, he's great flying to the football, looking forward and reacting to things in front of him. Um, but I mean, if you have to ask him to turn around and do different things in zone coverage, it's a little bit of a chore for him. I think instincts need to get better, play recognition, anticipation. Those things we talked about with Jalen Johnson, Nash Davis, those things probably need to get better for Kenneth Murray. Yeah. And when you're looking at the linebacker position, I don't. there's not a ton of scenarios where I feel really, really confident about taking one early versus one late. Because I do think, again, you look back at the positional value, uh, you know, the concept of positional value and how much these guys are getting paid like the linebacker position is not high up there for that reason, getting athletic linebackers on day two and day three, or guys that can really fill the role you want on day two, day three. I think it's usually going to, you're usually going to opt in that direction. Yeah. I, and we've seen, again, we've seen this kind of play out again and again and about linebacker value and not a lot of the ones that you do draft in the first round. They're not, it's not as safe. Like people think of it as kind of a safe position to draft. We've seen kind of in recent years, it's not necessarily the safest position in year one round one. Yep. All right. Moving to the next linebacker here. It's Patrick queen of LSU. Probably again, at back end of the first round, like Kenneth Murray in the same Kenneth Murray range, maybe earlier against Akeem Davis Gaither, the app state off ball linebacker who played a lot of edge, kind of a weird hybrid role at app state, super athletic dude. I think he's 220 pounds, a lighter frame, but brings a ton of athleticism and raw Raw, raw and tan, you know, raw measurements, good measurements from him, Akeem Davis Gaither. Um, where are you going here with Akeem being like a day two type and Patrick Queen back into round one? All right. So I'll say, yeah, fifth, picks 15 to 25 is where I'll say probably Patrick Queen's ranges right now. And then I'll say probably middle third is Akeem Davis Gaither's. In those ranges, I, th- I think I'll still go Patrick Queen here. I think I'll go early. Oh, I just said, got done saying that not a lot of first rounders hit. It's just, I keep coming around on Queen. And yes, there's, some bad in terms of uh, what he does in coverage uh, at times. Like he's not perfect in coverage by any means. He's not an absolute, you know, in terms of uh, his feel for zone coverage, still not like elite by any means. And the way his read and react ability, not quite there yet, but he only had like nine games as a starter. Like he was not a full-time starter. The guy has barely played football. He's not even 21 years old. Like those instincts do take time to develop. That quickness takes time to develop. And he really has all the, the explosiveness, the smoothness in his hips to get the job done. So I'm going to go Patrick Queen here. Even though I love Akeem Davis Gaither, I, I think he's a weapon in, his, in and of himself. But to me, Akeem Davis Gaither is even more raw than Patrick Queen as a senior coming out, as an older prospect. So give me the guy who's younger and even though I'll pay the premium for it. I think I'm leaning Patrick Queen as well, but it, it depends what you're looking for an off-ball linebacker. If you need if you need or slash really want an off-ball linebacker in this draft to start for you next year or even over the next two years, Patrick Queen has to be your guy. And I think he can be that guy. I think he's better than Kenneth Murray. Not significantly, but by definitely a degree because the instincts are there with Patrick Queen. I think he processes a lot better than Kenneth Murray. I don't think he's going to be completely lost when you ask him to turn around and off coverage. He's not perfect, but I don't think he's going to be completely lost. And with Akeem Davis Gaither, there's a lot of learning that's going to have to happen at the next level. If you want to make your linebacking core more athletic, add depth, Akeem Davis Gaither. But if you're like, hey, we need a linebacker in this class. We want to start him in, in 2020 and 2021. I mean, you have to go Patrick Queen, even though maybe I would never want to put myself in this situation where I need to force a position in the first round. That's fair. And again, I'm not sure I really would love to draft Patrick Queen there, considering what will be on the board. But I think you'll be getting a good player from fi- at 15 to 25, like if, if you do draft him. So I'm not going to like hate on it too much. All right, last one. And this one's a bit hot. Isaiah, a one. Simmons, Isaiah Simmons, the Clemson off-ball linebacker who should go in the top five, top 10 picks. Or Willie Gay Jr., the Mississippi State off-ball linebacker who tested in some ways better than Isaiah Simmons from an athleticism standpoint, who probably goes day three. I mean, the off-field concerns are somewhat significant, but he did blow Daniel Jeremiah and his sources away in the interview process. We'll see if he sneaks into day two, but probably late day two, early day three for Willie Gay Jr. 
I'm going to go, I'm going to go Willie Gay Jr. here. And I know it sounds crazy and I feel a little crazy for saying it, but like if he actually saw the field and this guy was at actually had none of the off field red flags, we would be talking about a first rounder. I'm just saying the value of getting him in the late third is so much more than what Isaiah, Isaiah Sims, obviously the better player, but there's value of getting him in the late third is just so much more. can be so much more than getting Isaiah Simmons in the top 10. It just like Isaiah Simmons will be very good in the NFL. I, I don't have too many doubts about that, but Willie Gay Jr. I think will also be very good in the NFL. If he just gets an opportunity to play, like he's never yeah. played, he's never played bad football in coverage at Mississippi state. He's always been very, very good. Now his reads, his run defense, very big question marks and his off field, yeah. a, a massive question mark, but the dude is a freak of nature and is very talented and has played good football. I'm going to go Willie Gay Jr. here. I, my take is, is this is a classic like bird in the hand versus two birds in the bush situation because I think <laughs> Isaiah Simmons is going to be very, very good in the NFL. The and I feel very comfortable even considering position value because this guy can play so many different things. Like this is not a Patrick Queen versus Willie Gay conversation. This is a guy that can play deep safety, slot corner. This guy can do so many things for you and in terms of Isaiah Simmons from Clemson to where like I, I'm leaning more Isaiah Simmons because one – you're banking on if you do go the Willie Gay option that you get him in a value you feel good about back end of round two, top of, you know, or back end of round three, maybe top of round four. And also that none of these red flags off field concerns show up. I mean, there's, there's so much more to the conversation with Willie Gay Jr. to where I feel like there might be three bir- birds in that bush, but there's some thorns in there too. I don't know if I'm diving in when I know Isaiah Simmons, if he falls to like say the Carolina Panthers at seven, I feel really, really good about Isaiah Simmons because he's going to get more value than the average off-ball linebacker in the NFL. Yeah, this isn't like, this isn't really top shelf or well. This is like Don Julio, <laughs> 1942 versus like Casamigos still. But that Casamigos yeah. could have, could be expired. Like it could be, tw- it could be really old and you could spit it out immediately once you no, You know what it. this is? This is the Don Julio, whatever. I don't drink tequila, whatever. The top shelf tequila versus... Versus the tequila you got offered in Mobile for free at the back end. <laughs> no, <Like>, that's that's <laughs> that's what like it is because it could be fantastic. Tequila? It could yeah. make you. It could. It could. It could uh, make you drunk in you know five minutes, but it also could be making you throw up as well. So it's an interesting stuff. Um, all right, that's usually how it works. That was a fun segment. <laughs> Definitely interesting. There, I think to finish that one, I'm going Isaiah Simmons, Patrick Queen. And Jordan Brooks. And then I think you were kind of in a similar boat, but you had Willie Gay. Jordan Brooks, Patrick Queen, Willie Gay. Gotcha. Give it to me. Let's finish here. Perfect parents. I'm sticking with the off-ball linebacker. And I really do love this comp based on like the type of athlete he is, but also like usage. Like if you want to use him to the best of his ability in the NFL, this is how you got to do it. It's Kenneth Murray to Rashawn Evans. They blitz him a ton. They keep him near the line of scrimmage. He's a shark in the water against the run. In coverage, maybe you have some concerns when he's asked to do things behind him, but attacking as a, as a, in, a, in a man coverage against running backs and tight ends, I think he can yeah. hold his own because he's athletic. I, I, I think this comp, from a usage standpoint, athleticism standpoint, this is what you're getting in Kenneth Murray. And for that reason, I don't know if I'm drafting Rashawn Evans in round one. Like, I wouldn't. Like, yes, he's really good at what he does, but how much value does that bring to the table? He's very limited in that regard. I, I, I like this comp in terms of how stylistically they play. Uh, and like thinking back to it, like I think Murray's a better prospect than Evans is. Evans obviously won the first round. Um, I think we had like a second on Evans coming out, but yeah, I mean like stylistically, I like it. I think Murray, and that's what I'm saying. I think Murray's a little better in terms of like a little more explosive. Like he's going to blow up backs a little bit more, gets there a little bit quicker than Evans, but Evans has worked out well in the NFL, like better than I even thought he might. So, Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He's worked out well in the role he plays, in the role but I mean, plays, yeah. but again, I mean, I don't know how, how, how much value you're bringing at that role. I think a more, <laughs> more value is more value is sought after. And like what Deion Jones can do when he's perfectly healthy, what Bobby Wagner can do Luke Keekley in terms of really affect all three, you know, all two phases of the game and on third down and those things and like stick in zone coverage, smart, instinctual player, that kind of stuff. So, yeah. um, go ahead. Perfect pairing. All right, mine. And trust me, I, like I, I've definitely said this before and I know like I repeat stuff a bunch and trust me, I feel like a fraud every time I repeat a take that I've had before. Well, finally like, this. Don't like, don't be like, Oh my God, you say the same thing. Like, I know I feel like a fraud, <laughs> but it's something like you have to do. You can't change your takes on guys. Like they're your takes on guys. So Tyler Johnson, Minnesota wide receiver, 
perfect pairing for him to me is Devontae Adams, the Green Bay Packers wide receiver. Devontae wasn't a freak athletically. I mean, he had like a 39-inch vertical, I want to say, coming out, but ran the four fives, not super fast, uh, had drop issues early on in his career. But there's just something to the way they move and that that shake off the line of scrimmage and at the top of their routes to where they can set up defensive backs and get out of their breaks in a hurry, despite not being maybe necessarily the fastest guys or having the best agility drills, that sort of thing. There's something there that I think translates well. And, and I want on my football team at the next level, Tyler Johnson, I don't think is limited to the slot, even though he played a lot of slot at Minnesota. But I think that comp, just the way they move is so similar. And I think Tyler Johnson is good, man. Like he, I don't, I don't know where the hell he's going to go in this draft. But I think I would be willing to take him like early midday too. I think he's that good. What's interesting is like it's like I like, I like the Devon, so Devonte Adams comp, but without like this weird hate. Like Devon, like imagine Devontae, <laughs> It's like Devonte yeah. Adams, but like no one hates him yet. Like for whatever, because like Tyler Johnson has like legit like people don't like this guy. Like I've heard that the Minnesota coaches didn't like him. I've heard a lot. I've heard some crazy stuff from people around the league and, and scouts and evaluators and things like that. And the guy, you know, bowed out of the East West shrine game. And I, but I, we talked to that him. I, I mean, I, I, I talked to him and I brought up like, you know, Hey, he said, yeah, I don't pay attention to that stuff, but I kind of pressed a little bit. And I said, okay, but you do know that people are saying this stuff about your character. I do know. You do know that people are saying, you know, saying things about you or whatever. And he's like, dude, I don't get it. They don't know me like blah, 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 blah. But like, I, I don't know, like Tyler Johnson is such an interesting evaluation because you have people that like legit hate this dude. But then there's also like, it is like so when, weird. You, when you look at his production, even from like, if you went the fantasy angle, like dominator rating, market share, all this stuff, like this guy was very productive. And if his coaches didn't like him, why'd they always throw him the football? Like, I, I, I don't <laughs> get it. It's someone I want to talk to, and maybe I'll try and work on this, but like, the, the quarterback, Tanner Morgan, like he yeah. was in the, he was in the PFF offices, but I missed him that day. But like, what was his opinion of Tyler Johnson? Like, cause he threw in the football a ton. Was that schemed? Was that like, no, this guy's just always open. I don't know. I just think there's more to Tyler Johnson than like the blanketed take that he's not good day three player with character concerns. I, I'm just not there with him. I, I agree. It's all kind of out of left field for me. I, I don't, I just don't get it. Like you don't get, be that productive in an offense that, a Minnesota offense that's not doesn't produce a lot of top end wide receivers, even though they're going to produce another one next year somehow. But it's weird, for sure. Interesting stuff. Well, that's going to do it for the Friday edition of the Two Four One Drafts podcast. We appreciate you guys listening. Remember, go and review the podcast. Leave a review with your email space spaces between the at symbol, and we'll make sure to send you a copy of the 2020 NFL Draft Guide. That is now I have to do a space between the dot com too. I'm not sure. Oh, really? Put as oh many spaces God. in as you can between those things. Just to, just put your damn mailing address at this point we'll figure <laughs> it out we'll find a way to get you the draft guide but um that's gonna do it thanks again guys this is austin gale mike brenner of 241 drafts